Okay, we've got um, a lot of people who came this morning. Thank you for being here. I don't know if you're here um, because you've made a New Year's resolution, if you're here because you got lost, or if you're here because you want to see if we're going to speak in tongues. But I don't care why you're here. I'm just so glad you're here. What an encouragement to stand up here and to get to to, to speak when people are here. It's um, uh, I do start trial tomorrow, and I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, uh, not only that justice will be done, and that, that I'll um, be a, a, a diligent tool in trying to see that that's done, uh, but also that my family will be okay while I'm gone for the next few weeks. I do plan on being back on the weekends and have already been working on the lessons in a way where I hope to be able to continue to teach them. And uh, uh, today we're doing part of the charismatic gifts, and then next week we're going to do more of the charismatic gifts. And so uh, uh, I'm excited to do that. Recently, knowing that we were going to be divided as a family, we took an opportunity to go on a little trip together. And the trip was really fun because it it was at one of these hotels where breakfast is a buffet. And it wasn't a one-table buffet. They had a table for waffles and pancakes and a cooking station where you could have eggs made to your choice. They had a table that had the fruits and the cereals and the yogurt containers and the juices and the milks. They had the containers, uh, the table with the sweetbreads, you know, the, the coffee cakes and the muffins and, and the rolls. And man, I'm hungry. And um, they, they had that table. They, they had the um, cardiologist full employment table with the sausages and the bacons and the hash browns. They, they had all of these different stations. And what was interesting to me, aside from eating, was watching our 10-year-old and our 12-year-old eat. Because I would go down with them sometimes before Becky would show up. And Becky's the food Nazi, and I'm the libertarian. (laughs) Kind of like, oh, honey, anything you want, you get. Uh, You know, Becky's, have you had your vegetables for breakfast? And so... uh, (laughs) I'm kind of like, hey, we only need one food Nazi in the family. Let her do that. I'll be popular dad. And so, <laughs> so uh, the kids always want to go down to eat with dad, you know, and we'll get our food before mom shows up. And, uh, uh, and they're crashing. The interesting thing to me, with that smorgasbord there, they would every day, they would go and they would walk and look at each station. And then they would zoom right in and get the Lucky Charms. And the exact same stuff every day, every day. And they'd wind up with the same food. And I think it's just the food that they like that they don't get at home. But, and I was laughing about them on the third day as I thought about it until I looked at my plate and realized I'd gotten the same thing every day too. <laughs> the kids don't always grow up. And, and I thought about that as I wrote this lesson because we're looking today at stations. But if we were to take the stations that they had, and this actually is the layout of the stations at the hotel. The one in the lower right-hand corner, that was Heart Attack Alley. Um, Lower left-hand was Get Your Waffles and Pancakes. That middle set was the healthy stuff. And then the top were the sweetbreads, which tend to pull you like a magnet. Um, 
or me anyway. So I thought if God's gifts were laid out like a salad bar or a breakfast buffet, which ones would you take? If you were the chooser and you could choose from the service table or you could go to the giving station for people who are giving, Time out. Jim, y'all come on down here. I can't go any further on the giving station without taking a moment. Do we have that microphone still, Steve? Could we borrow that? Jim and Diane Brewer, a lot of us have been praying for. Diane's life's literally been in precarious situation because of kidney problems. And I'm not going to embarrass Marcy and call her up here, but I want these two to embarrass her for me. Would you please talk for 60 seconds? Sure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. As many of you know, we started this journey about 20 months or so ago of, uh, on the wait list for a kidney. And uh, we remained faithful that God had a plan throughout this whole ordeal. And uh, sure enough, I'm here to tell you a little story of some words of thanks, praise, obedience, um, and just what an awesome God we serve. And I'll close with that part. Um, last week, or right before Christmas, actually, on Christmas Eve, we found out that we had a donor that was approved by the transplant committee at Methodist Hospital. That donor is Marcy Ship. Come on up. Come here. I'll try to talk quickly before my hands start shaking any more than it already is. But uh, obviously the words of thanks and obedience are fairly clear to you now. I do want to say thank you to, uh, to Tracy Martin for her inReach group that has helped us tremendously over the last couple of months. But the story doesn't stop here, and this is where I really get the, the God bumps. Because of mercy's, uh, mercies, Marcy's mercy and uh, act of obedience and her unconditional uh, friendship for, for Diana. She now has the opportunity, because they are not an exact blood match, blood type match, this now presents the opportunity that there are going to be two other recipients. There's a three-way swap that I'll explain to people later because it's, I don't want to take the time now. But because of this one gift, two other people out there who have been waiting for a long time for kidneys are going to get kidneys. So... Marcy's gift is even more special, and God had it planned the whole time. Thank you. So we know which table Marcy would be milling around. She'd be at the giving station. How about the teaching station? Would you go, would you gravitate to that station? Is that where you'd want to get to your gifts from God? Would you like to be at the mercy station? I'll tell you today which station I'd want to go to. I'd want to go to the miracle station. The trial I'm starting tomorrow is for a gentleman who climbed into a heavy piece of machinery and started to operate it, but he didn't climb out because the machinery, for some reason that we'll try to establish, started bucking like crazy, throwing him up and down, snapped his T12 in his spine, and he's paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. 
And I'm going to go try his lawsuit, and I'm going to try and, and do what I can through the court system for that man. But do you know how much rather, how much I would rather say silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ stand up and walk? I would, I would rather do that a hundred times over to go into San Antonio to try this case for three weeks. A hundred times over. So that's the station I'd go to this morning if it were a breakfast buffet. But God's gifts are not buffet choices. As much as we'd like them to be. God doesn't give gifts as buffet choices. That's not the way he teaches. God gives us choices. He gives us choices whether to use them. Choices whether to walk in them. There are choices attendant with them. How to use them. But the gifts itself, God chooses. They're his gifts. We didn't, for Christmas, lay out all of the gifts and tell the kids, okay, you go first. And do it like you're picking teams for basketball. So I want to talk about this. We started it last week. We went through a number of different words that Paul uses for gifts. All of these words have different nuances, which make them real uh, tasty to, to look at. But today we want to look specifically at what we would call charismatic gifts. And the reason we call them charismatic gifts to some degree is because Paul invented a word. Paul took a word and made one that didn't exist at the time. I would love to invent a word. I've been working on it all week. I haven't gotten too far yet. But when I get it, I'm going to unleash it on you. And urge you to take it and start using it. And we're going to see if we can start something. You know, at all of those stadium chants, somebody starts the chant. Right? Someone starts the wave. By the way, we've almost got enough people in here to do the wave. Uh, someone, yeah. Someone would have to start it though. Okay, Paul invented a word. He invented a word, charisma, in the Greek. Charismata is another form. What he did is he took this Greek word charis, which means grace or gift or kindness. He took this Greek word charis and he added ma to it. Ma takes, uh, can, can take a Greek word and turn it into a noun. Charis is already a noun. So he nouned the noun. He took charis, he added ma. And he came up with this word charisma. Only person in the Bible to use it except for one verse in Peter, which was written after Paul's letters and certainly after Paul's ministry. So, so, so Paul's got this word. And charisma or charismata, sometimes it adds a, a T-A at the end as well. Charisma is where we get the word charismatic from. It's our source of the word charismatic. But charismatic, as Paul used it, does not always mean the same thing that charismatic means to us. So I really want to just take this one bit of last week and pull it back out because I want it ingrained in your brain. Someday, some of you are going to say, where is this? Someday, some of you are going to say, I want to get some more of this. And when you do, put this on your wish list. This should have been on your Christmas list for this year. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. 
Here is a Greek New Testament interlinear. If you're into doing this stuff in a big way, this is one that's put out by Thomas Nelson. And what this does is it takes, and let's flip over to Romans 12, for example, where we are today. This takes scripture and it does a couple of things with it. It gives you the Greek, parakalo, un, hemas, and underneath it gives you the English. Kind of cool, huh? I'll tell you what would really be cool if we ever wanted to do this. One time I taught a class for about, I don't know, six months. It was pretty small. Um, At a church on how to get enough Greek to be able to function with something like this. And that might be really fun to do sometime. But on the left column, even beyond that, it gives you a straight translation in good English so that you've got it that way. It's a wonderful book. But it's a book that allows you to see, for example, where Paul writes about... That X is a CH sound, so that's, and that R, that P is an R. So that is charismata in the Greek. Having then gifts, charismata. This is where Paul writes about the charismatic gifts, some of them. So I want you to know when Paul talks about charismata, charismatic gifts, what does Paul mean? He doesn't mean to sing, dance, jump, a pew, roll, speak in tongues, heal, necessarily. Necessarily. What charismata in its root form means for Paul is a concrete expression of God's grace, God's giving. It is the concrete, it's something objective that's visible or audible are, are manifested in the world. It's some concrete expression of God's giving nature and God's givingness. I may have just made up a word. Is givingness a word? It is? <clears throat> All right. That's, so, for example, Paul's used that passage earlier in Romans before the passage we're going to look at today. In Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the charisma of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. An objective way that God has given to us, an objective, concrete expression of God's grace is the eternal life we have in Jesus. That's an objective way we can all see God's love for us. And what God has given to us. That's it. So if we understand Paul uses that word charisma, charismatic, that way. Then charismata, concrete expressions of God's grace, is a bigger circle than simply what we think of as the miraculous or the charismatic gifts. They would be included... See, Paul has no trouble calling speaking in tongues a charismatic gift because it is a concrete manifestation of God's grace. So it's included in in his 1 Corinthians talk about it. But this is Paul's word. So we're going to see what Paul has to say about it. And there are two big Paul passages where he lists and goes into some detail about charisma gifts. One of them is in Romans 12 and the other one is in 1 Corinthians 12. 
Today, we're going to do Romans 12. God willing, next week, we're going to do 1 Corinthians 12. Before we get into it, though, i got to ask you a question. Because I've asked myself this same question. Here's the question. Why? Why do we want the... Okay, let me, let me ask it this way. Let's do a poll. We're going to black the screen for a minute. Here's a poll. If you could, and if you don't like to answer polls and you don't want to raise your hands, you can just sit there. If someone's not raising their hand, don't judge them and think, wow, I can't believe they don't raise their hand. That just may mean they don't want to participate. This is not mandatory class participation. This is optional. How many of you, if you could go to the buffet line and pick out God's gifts, how many of you would head over to the miracle station and pick out a few of those? Raise your hand. Oh, man, I'm there too. Okay? Oh, yeah, I'm right there. Why? Why do you want those gifts? Why do I want them? Altruism. I would like the gift of healing so that Alfonso Lopez, tomorrow, when I see him, doesn't have to hear about my opening statement. Instead, he gets to hear words that he will not spend the rest of his life in diapers. He gets to hear that he can dance with his daughter on her quinceanera. Oh, I, yeah, I'm sure it's altruistic. But I'm not sure it totally is. You know, is there's part of me that would like that miracle power gift because of what it says about the reality of God? Don't you know there's part of us that would love to be able to work miracles because that proves there's a God. Maybe some people want to do it because they want to show their level of spirituality. Show that, hey, you know, because somewhere back in our brain is this thing about if you have enough faith, Jesus says, you can say to that mountain, Pick up and go over there. I can remember reading that scripture as a high school kid and thinking, I don't have that much faith. But I want to get there. I'll start by trying to get enough faith to move a pencil. That's the way I thought. If I can get a pencil down, I can work my... I thought it was like bench pressing. I can't do this 300 pounds, but I can do 20. And I'm going to work my way up. You know, do we want to have some of that because it shows, you know, is there this nagging part of us that says, hey, that I may not have that or I don't have that or I don't see that in my life. Is that a reflection of me? And the limitations where I am with the Lord. You watch some people on TV and there are some on TV who would suggest to you that if you simply have enough faith, you would be able to do this. And if you're not doing I have a woman in, in uh, uh, the law firm where I worked 20 years ago who's a secretary whose cousin is a faith evangelist on TV. My friend came down with leukemia. And she was going to the hospital to get treated. And her cousin said to her, don't go get treated. Just have enough faith and your leukemia will go away. 
Do scriptures teach these gifts are gone? I'll warn you now. I hope not. Because I'm going to warn you now. What Marcy is doing is just as big of a miraculous gift. It's Paul's charismata. It's not gone. But then what do we do with the fact that we don't see the miracles necessarily that we read about in the Bible? How do we answer that? How do we handle that? You know, some people don't want charismatic gifts to exist simply because they find that some of the miracle workers are embarrassing. If, 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 if Pastor Fleming goes on, you know, he's been asked before to go on TV with his sermons here at our church. If he does it, I mean, isn't there going to be part of you that, that wants to say, well, but, uh, you know, when you talk to your friends, yeah, he's a televangelist. But, but not that kind. Because some of them can be perhaps embarrassing to the Christian witness. Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. Now, that's one side of the coin. There's another side of this altogether. That's some, some people say there have to be miracles. This has to be true because it's the only explanation for what's happened in my life. I have experienced something that has no other valid explanation. As John Vonberg was telling me last night, you know, you put life's occurrences on a bell curve. And to explain what's happened to me, I'm not only not the meat of the bell curve, uh, uh, I'm not only, I guess it's easier to draw it, if, if, if these are life's experiences, okay, as opposed to the ski slope where you messed up your knee, um, if these are life's experiences, and this is what most people experience, my life's had so many bizarre twists and turns. I am way down. You know, this is flat line. I'm way down here. And so are most of the Christians I know. Which means in the Christian world, you know, if, if God's not doing something, then, then the bell curve's wrong. Yeah. Is, 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 you know, it's the only explanation. That's what some would say. Some would say, I grew up this way. I grew up speaking in tongues. It's got to be a valid thing because I grew up with it. These are different reasons. Let me tell you what I think the best reason is. Scripture teaches on this. And we need to study Scripture and we need to stand under it as we understand it to speak. If it says something different than we grew up with. If I say something that my 92-year-old grandmother has never believed before in her life, but she becomes convinced that Scripture says it, then she'll change her mind. And we should all be the same. So let's look at the scripture and let's study it. Now, if we're going to study what Paul says here, we need to understand, first of all, in this Romans passage, Romans 12, which is the one today, that Paul's got a pun there, and his pun adds some punch. So we're going to put this scripture into... Con I could do better. His pun adds some punch. Thank you. Um, so let's put the scripture into context. Why is Paul even writing about charismatic gifts in Romans 12? Well, what Paul's trying to do is explain to a divided church, a church that's been divided, Jew and Gentile, and is trying to come back together. Paul's trying to explain to them how important it is that they see that God's charis, God's grace, God's kindness has reached 
to all of them. That's the grace, he would tell the Ephesians, by which we are saved through faith. God's kindness, the death of Christ for their sins, is something that everyone has. All Christians have it the same. There's not a Christian in, on the planet today or at any time in history or eternally in God's kingdom that does not share in the grace of God, the death of Christ for their sins. It is the only way that they would be in heaven or be a Christian. There is no other. Right? Okay, so Paul says that in this Romans 12, but then he uses his made-up word. And he says, while everyone's got the charis, the charisma is given differently to different people. So you see, he does a little fun pun play that we kind of lose in the English. Everybody's got the charis, but the charisma is different for everybody. And then what he does is he starts explaining it. Now, there is a great book that came out either last year or this year. You're into books. Here, I'll hold it up and put it on the screen. This book emphasizes when it writes on this passage that these are charisma gifts. This book is entitled Reading Romans in Pompeii. It's by this fellow named Peter Oakes. Peter Oakes is a British scholar who's a specialist in Roman history, but also a New Testament scholar. So what Peter Oakes did is he went to Pompeii and been many times, but he took all that the Pompeii was the city about 130 miles south of Rome that was destroyed in the Vesuvius explosion in 79 AD and was coated over. And starting in about the 1700s, science and, and people have rediscovered it and slowly dug it out. And so we've got a, almost an entire Roman city totally saved. The murals on the walls, all the rest. One that was a contemporary of the time of Christ. Interestingly, one that has evidence of Christianity being there too. It's 79 AD, but that's another day. Um, this gentleman has written a book, Reading Romans in Pompeii. He says this was an everyday town. What would happen if those citizens had gotten Paul's letter that was intended for the church 130 miles north? How would they have understood it differently? And one of the things he points out is how important the head of the household was in every Roman house. The head of the household would decide who did what. He was El Jefe. He was the boss. Someone asked me the other day, what did y'all do when Becky used to work at the law firm? How did y'all handle things? And I said, it was real easy. I was the boss from 8 to 5. She was the boss from 5 to 8. <laughs> Becky said it differently. She said, I was the boss from 8 to 5. I was bossy from 5 to 8. <laughs> you know, it, how, how did they handle? I, I want to tell you, these are house churches and, and Oaks does a good job of saying the tendency in a house church in a Roman culture, in a Roman civilization, is going to be for the head of the house, the householder, to tell everybody what to do. Okay, y'all are coming over to my house for church. So here's what we're going to do. Steve, I want you to do the announcements. Marcy, I want you to give the kidney. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, you, you just start telling them. And one of the things Paul's make a point that's going to jump out to the Romans when they're reading Paul's letter is that God's assigning the chores and the roles. Not the head of the household. 
God's the one who, that's the reason why you hear the announcement. Hey, go, if God calls you, would you help out on Tracy Martin's team that's, that's supplying needs to people who are bereaved? If God's calling you, could you help out in the audiovisual area with the stuff being done? If God's calling you, could you, because you decide. We don't just decide. Well, I say, hey, Gearhart, man, I want you to clean up the donut mess when we're done. Short read, uh, you, you need to, to go over there and open the door for people. I, we, oh, I say we don't. Some of us might. Um, probably maybe even me. But generally, we don't do that. God assigns the roles. That's what he's saying. So there are seven gifts that Paul talks about in this Romans 12 passage. But it's not because there are only seven charismatic gifts. Paul talks about seven gifts because it's a nice... I, look, the Jews spoke in sevens. It was in his DNA. There were seven days of creation. You'll find seven replete throughout the Bible. It was a complete and total number. And so Paul gives seven gifts in the sense of saying, God gives all the gifts. He's not giving seven because there are only seven and you must find yourself within these seven. Because there can't possibly be any others. We know that because he lists gifts in Ephesians 4, though he doesn't call them charismatic gifts. He lists gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and the lists aren't all the same. So let's look at these. There's prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, mercy. What are these? Well, prophecy. Let's start there. Prophecy as a gift means you're telling the church information that God has revealed to you. 